0: Hello everybody and welcome to Life on Marts. I'm Alexion, founder of Marts Based, and I will be your host in this episode, where we will we'll be talking to Mark Ascens, co-founder and CTO of Happy Scribes, one company we really, really like from Barcelona and I'll tell you two cool things about this company. The first one is built with Ruby on Rails, which is something that we really like. The second is they are entirely bootstrapped. They haven't received any sort of external funding. They haven't raised any fundraising round. So we really like this kind of companies. And actually, they reached out to us to speak in the podcast when they heard that we wanted to interview more companies that they were bootstrapped, the companies more in this space and because there are so many other podcasts where all the BCVAC companies, they can speak and there are not so many podcasts giving voice to the ones that don't follow that kind of path in the entrepreneurial career. So if you're bootstrapping the shit out of your business, you wanna you want us to talk about your business, feel free to reach out because normally... You know, on um, a personal um, personal opinion here, uh, most of the outbound requests that we get for podcast speakers are usually a bad sign. Like we receive dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of, uh, of petitions to speak in the podcast to be our speakers at startup brand events and whatnot per month. And to be honest, most of them, if not all of them are not great, are usually people who just, make a living out of speaking in podcasts, speaking at events, and they want to get paid, or maybe they just do it for for sport or whatever, or they just launch, they want any kind of free publicity there is. But usually, companies this interesting don't reach out to other podcasts. So I saw it, I was pleasantly surprised, I knew the company already, I was like, yeah, sure, let's talk. I had also listened to that, I listened about them in the ethnic Podcasts. I had been following them loosely over the years. So I knew the company. I was like, but I was I didn't know they were coded in Ruby on Rails. As a matter of fact, they just digging up emails, I found out that they had reached out a few years back because they, they needed like some help and they wanted to kind of like get to know the players in the Ruby industry in Barcelona. So it's good that the we finally uh, made it coincide and we we turned it into an episode because it's super interesting. We talk at length about natural language processing. We talk about machine learning and AI. We talk about their tech stack. We talk about several layers of their architecture, how they scaled their company, how they scaled their, uh, their, their MVP, how they improved their algorithm of transcription going from open source and proprietary libraries to kind of like developing a library of their own, an algorithm of their own that is outperforming all of the other solutions in the market. All of these written in big part in Ruby and Rails. Several other parts of the the code are not written in Ruby and Rails as it happens with uh, other uh, web architectures. But yeah, there are a couple of surprises here and there with regards to technology that I was really... Uh, sh- uh shaken by so it's a really interesting episode it's a little bit more on the techie and nerdy side if you know what i mean so if you want to learn more about it stay tuned and let's jump right into this episode hello mark how are you doing welcome to Life on mars welcome to the show hey there I'm, I'm doing great thanks very much uh we wanted to discuss bootstrapping today bootstrapping we wanted to talk about your company because not very often we have the pleasure of hosting bootstrap businesses. We want to have more bootstrap businesses. And I'm glad that you reached out because you reached out because you wanted to be one of the bootstrap businesses uh, feature on the podcast. But what happens when I reach out to bootstrap businesses? And most of them, they're like, I don't really want exposure. So uh, mm-hmm. I've got to say that in 99.9% of the times where somebody reaches out to speak in a podcast, for me, is a huge red flag. But when I, I knew your company and I had heard you in the Ethnic podcast, and I was like, okay, this is the 1% or the 0.1% um, chances that somebody actually valuable reaches out to a podcast to speak. So thank you for the courage and, and, and welcome. Let's start with the very beginning. Uh, first off, why, why did you start Happy Scribes and how did the idea come about? And give us a little bit of your background.
1: Sure. So, uh, I I studied telecommunications engineering at, at UPC, um, and then at the at the end of uh, of my studies, I did an Erasmus in in Dublin. So I I traveled to to Dublin, uh, and then the house where, where I happened to be living, I met Andre there, and Andre is my co-founder. He's from yep. from Paris, uh, and and basically we we did our our studies. We went our own ways while we were living there and then at more or less at the end of of our stay there he, he one, one night he had this uh, this problem of he had to transcribe a bunch of tran- a bunch of uh, audio files for a qualitative research he was doing for for college and he realized that he would have to spend two weeks transcribing all of this <laughs> so two weeks like on a table and typing all all this uh, all this audio, and uh, at that point I was studying machine learning and doing my final thesis on on this topic, and I had context that the speech-to-text algorithms, they were on a, um, uh, like, they had, the, the accuracy had started to become useful just a couple months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So we started talking about this, and uh, we searched on the internet for apps that uh that maybe they would you know like for for an online app that would allow to automatically transcribe this and we could not find anything so we realized that maybe there was a, a gap in the market and uh ourselves quickly uh we built an mvp we took a an off the shelf model uh we built a small uh, a small wrapper uh, and then we we tried it and and that, that was a bit like how
0: how it started well for context what year was that because I assume there, there, there would have been some tools in the market, whether you would could be using Mechanical Turk of Amazon, to do it on the manual side, but there could have been some other tools that automated this process already.
1: So that was 2017. And at, at that time, there was no tool that was useful. That, or, that, that was like easily, easily uh, useful. Uh, there was no, no product that you could easily go upload a file and get a thing that was of a uh, quality that, that was going to be useful. Uh, th- there were some tools, like for example Dragon Dictation, uh, yeah. which which is a more legacy tool that you dictate and uh, you train the algorithm so it recognizes better your your voice. Uh, but th- there was no no simple tool that a student could uh, could use, and that's the gap that we identified.
0: Okay, uh, for for students and for more like open source, maybe I'm assuming that everybody was using proprietary software because Microsoft mm-hmm. Text to Speech. Was uh sorry, both text to speech and speech to to tech was, was already integrated. I remember because around that time they acquired SwiftKey, which is my swiping uh mm-hmm. keyboard of choice. And one of the damn buttons I cannot get rid of is the one to text to speech. But also like it, it it has got something there. I remember Google. So uh, YouTube's captions were already live in 2017. So there must mm-hmm. have been almost everybody. Everything was private software. I assume. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the,
1: the the technology was being used in in some places, and uh, Google had released the, the the Google Speech API on Google Cloud uh, at the if I remember correctly, it was at the beginning of twenty seventeen. Okay. Uh, but but um but yeah, like most of the solutions, they were quite inaccessible for for a normal consumer, uh, and and they were
0: not focused to to consumer. So the idea here was to sort of leverage these open APIs that they were there that you understood because you were working on these, but they are highly technical and therefore um uncharted territory, if you will, and make them accessible through kind of like a uh self servicing SaaS that you are, are building with uh, HappyScribe, Happy right? So can you can you plug in Happy Scribe yeah. right now in the in the <laughs> podcast?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, so um, when, when we saw this, no, uh, the, the initial thing we, we did was uh, build this very simple product. Which at the beginning it was it was a script that would run on the terminal that my co-founder would run would use to uh, to like solve uh, his problem. He, he realized that this was useful for him, and actually he shared it with with some with some friends, uh, and people started sharing this script ar- uh, around the university. So we started realizing that that the, that there was something uh, in here. Uh, And then uh, when we realized this, we built a website on on top that was, uh, well, it was like a a weird domain name at at the time. And and we launched the. What was the uh, name? What was the name? Go for it. (laughs) Come on. No regrets. So the the domain name at the time was uh, scrb.co. Well, yeah. And uh, the, <laughs> like the, we wanted to to name the company Scribe at the beginning. Scribe, yeah. Uh, but of course, Scribe was uh, was taking. Scribe is the person that that uh, that writes down um, like uh, yeah. whatever it is is needed. No. Um, yeah, so, so we we launched this this early website, and then we we, we got traction quite quite early on because uh, we contacted some some people that were related to the space of transcription. They um and and they made a bit of uh, a bit of publicity, um and yeah and and then like uh started building the company from from there.
0: But how did this idea of pardon, but a bunch of nerds <laughs> just thought that you know we're playing with this. And how do you turn it into a business? Because coming from academia, and I seem to remember you guys come from academia, which is not mm-hmm. super well, well, well-versed in business. And on the, on, like, on the contrary, actually, if you are in academia, business is perceived as super, something super negative. And <clears> you're like, okay, we've got a business idea. Maybe we can turn it into a real company. How did this yeah. transition happen? Yeah, so I'd say that there, there
1: were two phases. There was one phase that was a more exploratory phase, uh, yep. And then there was a uh, like um and then it was like a realization of what uh like the what the opportunity and then we we went full on, uh, on the expor- on the more exploratory phase, uh, we we built this and then um, uh, um first like we, we we got traction by uh, like uh, in, on the early days uh, when when we launched the website and there was no one uh, on the website that happens uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course uh, the first thing we did was that um, we typed on the Google transcribe interviews. And the first result, it was um, like a a forum on ResearchGate where people were asking for the best tools to, to transcribe their interviews. And on a forum, you can post content. So we we posted a, a comment saying like hey we're two students from uh, from the university we've built this tool and it's been useful for us we're sharing it here in case it's useful for anyone, and then we told all our friends to come and upvote the comment. So in a in a time frame of twenty four hours we were the top comment on this uh, on this forum, which was the first link on one of the biggest search queries on Google for tran- for transcription. So. That, uh, yeah, so this was one of the things that took us out of the of the ground, no, and we went from zero to a thousand or I, I don't remember the exact numbers, no, but uh, we definitely there was a step function there in, in traffic uh and started getting some some traction. Uh and then realized started understanding that uh the, the potential for, for product and, and the demand was 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 uh more than, than we initially thought. A bit later, we contacted uh, some journalists that were talking about transcription tools. And one of these journalists was Ren Lafrom from the Poynter Institute, which is uh, it's like a, a magazine on, in the US that it talks about tools for journalism. And it's, it's a magazine for journalists. And Ren, he tried the, the platform and, uh, with the specific files, because at, at the time, the accuracy of these algorithms was pretty good, but was much worse than today. And when he tried it, we we're quite lucky because it worked very well on his files. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, so after this, he, he was quite impressed and he decided to uh, to write an article on our story, the fact that we were students that we have built this and how useful it had been for him. And that article w- went viral and it went uh, viral wow. on, on, on Twitter. And, and we had one of these situations of uh, at, at the time, actually, we we're in the middle of our final exams. And we were in the <laughs> we were in in the living room, uh, cooking the the product, and then um, Andre uh, he started saying like, oh, wait Mark, I don't know, I don't understand why it, the the website is not working, <laughs> and then uh, it crashed. Like, we realized that it had crashed. We went to the Google Analytics, and it was uh, it was full of people trying to use it at the same time, which was wow. coming from uh, from from this article. Um, the, the architecture was not designed to handle all the traffic, so we ha- we we had to like tweak the, uh, fix the architecture on the on the fly uh, in the next hours uh, and then like started working uh, working again.
0: Okay, now I wanted to uh, first off I wanted to go into business and then into tech, but it seems like the conversation is drifting towards tech now. So how did you build your first initial MVP? What was your first website? Uh, what was your first architecture? Let's get let's get deep into that because it seems like you had some the the uh, nice problem to have. That is, you know, going viral before expected, right? But maybe, maybe that even helped you.
1: Yeah. Um, so, like, our, our our tech stack has all has uh, has always been, been designed with uh, with trying to maximize the impact of every individual, uh, like programmer or or like a persona at Happy mm-hmm. So. Uh, with, with that in mind, we chose uh, Ruby as a programming language, which is a, a f- fairly high-level programming language that allows you to to like build software pretty fast. And then we chose Rails as the as the web uh, web framework no? because our platform is is mainly uh, well, is accessed through the web. Uh, which is which is which is which is a very mature framework and fairly high-level framework as well. So that the you, you don't have to take a lot of technical decisions to solve problems that have already been solved by thousands of people across the globe, but you can build on top of them. And this was for the business logic and for and for like. Um, a programming language on on the back end. On the front end, um, we we use React for the most complex uh, for the most complex logic that has to feel like a uh, like an application. No? Um, and then for infrastructure, we chose Heroku because yep. it's. It's uh, it's a kind of uh, AWS Amazon Web Services, but it's it's a it's a one more le- it's uh, yeah it's it's more high level and basically it allows you to, to build an app without having to deal a lot with um, DevOps or infrastructure or this this kind of things. Uh, so this is this is how like the the product uh, stack looks. And then on the uh, like a, a bit later on the more machine learning side, we, we, we can go deep uh, a bit later if you want on on
0: that. Yeah, because uh, it's 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 nice that you bring up Ruby because um, you know there's a lot of hearsay saying like you know Ruby's dead or you you keep hearing Ruby's dead, but now every every new company is being created with Ruby on Rails. Also, there's lots of JavaScript. But I think like Ruby, mm. it's going boom right now again. It's going to suffering kind of like a second renaissance because people, X shopify X stripe X dropbox X github X something like the platforms that went mm. big in 10 years ago up until now, they're creating yeah. the next generation of entrepreneurs and founders and they're creating it with Ruby, right? And I'm seeing tons of companies build with Ruby and there's not enough Ruby developers out there. However, mm. in your case, since you're building a machine learning, working on AI and whatnot, um one would think that on paper you would have built this using Python because at the same time you can use it as a, it's got a web framework and also it's really good for, for big data and, and machine learning and whatnot. So why hmm. why Ruby um, in this case and not Python?
1: Like at, at the beginning when we started, we did not do the machine learning ourselves. So correct. On- on on, yeah. on on this on this MVP um, uh, that, that we built and on on the first like few years, the strategy was to build the best product out there, um, and then uh, build the machine learning later. Uh, to build the best product out there, we could not start building the the, the algorithms uh, at, at the beginning. What made yeah. more sense was to find the best algorithms, partner with the, with the companies that had them, and then offer the best accuracy since the start. And that's that's what we did. Okay.
0: So you kind and- of like used uh, third party libraries, and because first off they were proprietary. Then I think, if, if I remember correctly, from the story, you went on using the algorithms open source because they were better than the proprietary ones. And then eventually, or now you're pretty close. You'd be really close to improving or uh, or matching the accuracy, or even improving it for the ones that stand around the market, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and maybe like to to, to zoom out uh, a bit. So on this first exploratory, exploratory phase, you no, know, like we 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 discovered a bit like the the, the space, uh, and then at some point we we realized that speech to text. It's it's one of the important narrow intelligence problems that has to be solved in the next few years, mm-hmm. um, and, and which which is basically like turning audio into into text. Um, this is a very hard problem because uh, this means creating uh, an algorithm that you can put it anywhere in the world. And it can understand what it's being said. Uh, and if you think about the complexity of this problem and, and the, the complexity of the data of this problem, uh, like uh, people that, that have different genders, the voice is different. Correct. If you if you put a, a, if you move across the globe, uh, even on the same language, there's different jargon in different places. Sometimes this jargon is actually different in between cities. Um, there is. Uh, if you go into a university, there's going to be very, very technical, uh, very technical words. If you go into the medical sector, there's going to be very, very technical words as well, but, but probably, uh, probably different, no. Uh, so, to solve this, this, this magnitude of, of a problem, uh, it became apparent that um, one, the bottleneck to solve it was actually having very accurate and large data sets about, like on, on, tra- on transcription. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 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 way to like the the best way that we found to build this is actually to have a transcription company. Okay, and then uh, and then uh, after after some years, uh, once the pro had scaled and our dataset had reached a magnitude that was very significant, then it's when we switched to start building our own machine learning, and this is what we have been done, uh, doing for the last year. And then we started writing in python code uh and and all of this,
0: okay, because even though that you might want to increase the accuracy of your um speech to text algorithm or machine to ninety nine point nine percent which uh I think it's still far from that, but i I don't know how far you will tell me that, but like but the truth is an eighty percent is already very acceptable right eighty percent accuracy is something that uh, YouTube is using. Uh, Microsoft is using every big company is just there. Of course, you want to have the best algorithm out there, but does it really pay off to have these incremental uh, points of decimal uh, in every new version of the algorithm you develop? Because it can be, I assume, it's very costly.
1: uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so on one side, by by talking just talking to customers, uh, like it's apparent uh, to to us, you know that uh, having uh, the accuracy matters a lot, and actually the most value uh, it's it's sometimes on the on this long tail. Uh, so for example, uh, when we do interviews with uh, with users uh, to understand like their use cases and all of this, the things that we care most about are the technical terms they are using, uh, because that that is what allows us to understand what's what's going on. Those are the terms that the algorithm struggles the most with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on on one side it, it it seems that it's it's important to to have very high precision, and at the same time as as the algorithm becomes more precise, what is happening is that there's uh there's this creation of a product of very accurate transcription at a very low price that did not exist in the in the like uh, before, and it creates a new vertical like this uh, the, uh it creates like yeah uh, it creates a new product and we we will see the magnitude of of this uh, with more. Precision in the, in the following years, but our intuition is that this is very this is very significant.
0: How did the transition then from using proprietary software to open source software, then to developing your own algorithm, happen? Like uh, at what point in the what stage in the company, how many people you were at, and and what was the trigger that made you switch to okay, now we've got this, we've got enough, enough traction, we've got enough developers, so we can tap into this pool of talented people working on this space that we can actually build our own team and do it in house.
1: Uh, so it, w- it was it was a, a quite a quite gradual um, uh, transition, uh, but basically on the at, at some point uh, we, we like we started of realizing that the magnitude of uh, of data that we had was um, an order of magnitude or more bigger than anything else that is open source and that is out there. And that pro- And that probably it was uh, even bigger that the data sets that have the big companies inside internally working, uh, so that was the, the, that was the, the moment where we started um, like uh, hiring and assembling the, the team uh, to create the speech text in-house.
0: And how about like in terms of business, when when was it like what kind of KPIs did they make you to you know do the switch? Towards having things in house versus using third party libraries? is it, Was it, you know, we've got enough revenue right now, we've got enough users, we've got this size of clients, we've got so many clients on the pipeline. Uh, what kind of KPIs uh, do you live by?
1: Um, well, I mean, I mean, basically, in in the last, in the last, um, in, in the last uh, um 2 years or or so like <clears throat> we realized that we we had the um, uh the budget to start a, a new team that was not mm-hmm. just focused on the um, on the on growing the on growing the business and bringing more more revenue in a very direct way but that we could we could start to allocate resources for a more long-term projects like uh like it was the decks, and and that's a bit when when we started um and then we've, we've been implementing this this technology on the on the product uh, progressively as well. So when, once uh, once we developed it and achieved very very high accuracy, then we started um, putting some percentage of our traffic that goes into our um, into our uh, speech to text uh, algorithm instead of the third party. And we're we're actually uh, right now we uh, the algorithm that we have it's in English. It's not mm-hmm. in other languages at, at the moment and we're sending a percentage of the traffic in english okay. um, and so and we're like uh, sweeping slowly making sure that uh that the currency is, is the same uh that the customers uh, that it works well for customers and all
0: of this and how did you start uh, developing this uh your own algorithm i mean you mentioned briefly that you um implemented python into the company so that brings another language into the into the whole tech stack so how does that combine? I assume that like that's a very modular part of the application that it just like it's kind of like a black box to the to the rest of the application, uh, to the rest of the back end uh, done in Ruby. But it will grow mm. over time. Right. How do you how do you compensate this?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, interesting problem. No? Like, it, uh, you, you get this new language that you have to uh, have expertise inside the company. Um, and and how, how do you do it? <clears throat> So at at the, at the beginning, uh, it, it was basically one one engineer you know, that started uh, writing the, the models in uh, in Python, and the the software that's that's around uh, the, the machine learning it's basically the models. But then there is some uh, some software that extracts the data from the application, processes the data, uh, then we do the model training, uh, the model benchmarking, we double check with uh, and make sure that the accuracy is correct, and then we 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 deploy. One interesting uh, design decision that, w- that we took is that all all everything that surrounds the models, it's in Ruby as well. Okay, it's it's, it's not in Python. And the reason for that is that all all this all this code that, that is surrounding the the models, <clears throat> it uh, there's quite a lot of synergies with the main product. Yeah. Uh, so the 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 code for benchmarking, for example, uh, for benchmarking uh, speech text models, can be used to benchmark. Uh, um, for, uh, transcriber accuracy. It's, there's a thing that, that we haven't talked uh, yet about, but it's that uh, on the product, we have the automatic transcription product, but we have as well a professional transcription where then there is a human in the loop, there is transcribers, and uh, and one of the things that we have to do is uh, test their, their accuracy. So there's, yeah, there's quite a lot of synergies. And we, we took this decision of uh, building all this in, in Ruby, uh, which constrains us a bit about the type of people that we can hire. Because mm-hmm. then we, ha- we have to hire machine learning people that they are very strong in software engineering as
0: well. Because they, they have to be able yeah. to n- not, not just... But they're usually uh, strong in Python, right? Exactly. But not in Ruby. Uh, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, but uh, it, it actually constrains us in the direction that we want to build a team because we want to build uh, a team where uh, where like it's uh, everyone is very excellent at what they do uh, and in machine learning software engineering it's a multiplier yeah because the the math part of machine learning it's uh, like it's important it is very interesting but every all of that has to be coded and normally the bottleneck for advancing is actually coding it you you spend 10% of the time thinking about like uh, how the model should look like and then you spend most of the time implementing it and fixing the more uh, software engineering problems that that come that come along um so this is yeah this is a bit how how we're building the team uh and it forces us to 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 pick uh, machine learning engineers that are very strong in software engineering and that can learn a language pretty easily.
0: Yeah. I mean, I haven't done a lot of Python, especially not in the last 20 years, maybe. I don't know. I did like some in the university, but I finished university in 2009. So I'm a little bit off here. Um, but I know that it's not very far from what you would do in Ruby as well. So they're pretty similar languages. Um and the, they've got their pros and cons, obviously, but it seems to me that anybody who's on Python could learn Ruby pretty easily, and vice versa, right? So, are you mm-hmm. reskilling people, or where are you finding the talent? Where are you finding this kind of pretty rada avis person that is, you know, a data data analyst, data engineer that also wants to learn software engineering?
1: Uh. The, the the things like the, the the best machine learning people they they are good at software engineering like if you look yeah. at, the, at the landscape um <clears throat> a good example is Andre Carparti, who is now the uh, the head of uh, self driving uh, in in Tesla Okay um, and 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 this guy is, is a person that uh, if you look at, if you read his blog and see everything he has done in, in the past, it's a mix between uh, I mean of course it's much more strong in, in machine learning, but he has been coding all his life and has, has been doing pet projects uh, with with software. Yeah. Um, so th- th- this is the kind of profile that, that we are excited about, and this is the, the kind of profile that we have been looking since the beginning, uh, and it's a kind of profile that should be able to learn
0: uh, Ruby pretty fast. Where do you get your engineers from? Where do you where, what tactics do you use to hire them? Where do you find them? What's your source? Have you outsourced and and use a a um, t- how how you call them headhunters, or do you do all the hiring yourselves? What's your strategy there?
1: Yeah, so, uh, building the team—it's it's uh, it, it's, a, it's like one of the most important things that <laughs> that you that you can do. You no, know, is in the end all the output of the company—it's uh, yeah. it comes from it comes from the from the team um we've experimented with, with a bunch of things but uh, in the end the um, uh like the the things that has worked the, the most for us it's personal networks okay.
0: and but that we, doesn't we, really scale does it like you can hire 10 people 20 if you will but
1: well we're trying to make it at scale <laughs> okay and 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 we're going pretty deep uh in, into that and uh it, it does require. So, uh, how, how personal networks work for for people that are not not familiar, uh, is that you basically like make a list of everyone that you know that uh, is a very very uh, has a lot of capacity for the kind of position that you want to do and uh, is very nice and you would want to work with them. No? so there's a cultural fit and a technical fit that you're searching yeah. for. Uh, and then you make this list. You make a coffee with every each of them. You ask them to join. Explain the the project. You ask them to join, and regardless of what they say, then you ask for who would they co-found with, or who would be the people that that they would love to that joins the the startup that they join, and then you you get their their, their list of people, uh, and then you you go and you do coffees with this with this other with this like new people, and this is like a small algorithm that you can repeat at infinitum. Uh, and what we're finding is that uh this is the way that you find the uh, the best people
0: mm-hmm. because and, yeah uh, they're actually mentioning people that they trust enough to co found a company with right exactly exactly it's not the only way of of course nobody it's it's mm. like a
1: pretty reliable way uh to, to to find some of the best people uh aside aside from this uh, and from from personal networks the, the other thing that, that we do is uh, some LinkedIn uh, sourcing which you probably uh, know no uh, and we, we have a, a team inside uh, happy drive uh, which is a, a in talent uh, acquisition that they are more like uh, researchers and they go on LinkedIn and they 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 um, they study the, the different profiles and they go like very deep into into what uh, uh, kind of person that uh, we need um, yeah, and 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 we 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 use uh, LinkedIn a bit as well.
0: I, I like the I like the idea of the personal networks. The the, the reason I mentioned that it doesn't scale is because I think um, for what I've understood, it's only the network of the founders, right? Because or are you also asking employees to do that? No, no, we're, we're asking employees uh, as as well, of course. Okay, because in my personal experience, when you ask employees, like some of them will mention two or three people. But a lot of them might not mention because they're like, I don't know if I really want my friend to join the company. Like, of course, the idea of working with a friend is always good. But the reality is like, what happens if this person joins the company? It's not a great cultural fit and they fire him or her, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've had that, uh, I think, only once in the company where somebody brought a friend and that friend turned out to not work. And so kind of like, we've never had anybody else like bringing a friend into the company. And I don't know, we did, probably didn't manage it that well, but obviously it was not a great fit. It was not a great fit. So maybe, I don't know if we scared them off, but there, it's mm-hmm. this double-edged sword, right? You Maybe you don't want to bring somebody that it's not a great fit. And then they're like, oh, you brought this guy or this girl and they were an asshole. They were not good. Like, and And then the reputation is on you, I think, right? So it's pretty tricky as well. How do you handle that?
1: Well, on, on, on one side, hiring is, is a, uh, because it's a fairly complex problem. Um, yeah. uh, like the, uh, the amount of, uh, and especially when, when you're building the, 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 um, the be- team at the beginning, uh, what we hear from some of the best people at hiring, like Binald Koshla or Michael Seibel, uh, is that the, the accuracy and, uh, of, so like, uh, the, the percentage of people that comes inside the company that is not a fit is actually fairly high it's uh it's like one out of three people uh, or or on or on that uh, so uh, because it's very hard that the, the of the cultural fit and there's like many things that are, are very difficult to uh, to um, uh, yeah to, to forecast so the, the fact that someone brings someone and it, it, and it's not a fit we don't see it as a as a big problem. Uh, like mm-hmm. that's it's, it's part of the game, and uh, and and it's yeah, and it's just like a very hard problem. And on the other side, I think everyone at HappyScribe is very invested in making the company succeed. Uh, so, so they are. Uh, so, everyone is extremely happy to to uh, to search for like the best people they know and and explain them the the project and see if this is like the the what they want to do. Um, yeah.
0: And how about the, the, do you hire people still from academia, academia backgrounds? Because they're probably, they're not used to the rhythm and pace of a startup. And granted, you're a bootstrap startup. So you can do things a little bit slower than the other startups because you don't have the countdown. You don't have the, the, these this, this uh, you know, this timer that is like, holy fuck, we're running out of money because uh, we raised 2 million. Twelve years ago, uh, sorry, twelve months ago, and now we're running out of money. So we gotta, you know, break things and move fast and whatnot. So you could you can take things more slowly. Um, but I don't know if that if is that slow enough for people from academia or they are super fired up because they come to a startup, they can they can actually get a good salary working on the things they love. Completely opposed as in the academia world.
1: <laughs> yeah uh, um i mean on on, on one side the, the basis that we have a happy uh, I'd, I'd say it, it's pretty fast if, even though there, yeah. there is no no no, no investors uh, it, there is no external pressure but there is but we create internal pressure to to make to make sure that that we're going how do you speed that that we will do I guess it's like the the, the, the more like uh, the same s- systems that you would have like setting OKRs, setting a like a about a, by- a by- weekly meeting where we report everything we've done and having these like simple methods. Uh, but in the end, it's a, it's a my guess is It's the same methods that are, that are used in uh, like when you are
0: in a PC backed company. Okay. Um, and the people mm-hmm. from academia, do you think like they're a good fit for your startup?
1: And then on, like, on people from academia, the fact is that we haven't hired anyone that comes from, from academia. Uh, okay. <laughs> that,
0: that's enough. So that's far. enough of one answer. <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead.
1: No, the, like, the, the people that, that, com- that come to, to, from academia, that probably would be, uh, it's like a profile that we're searching at the moment. It's the people that are in machine learning. Uh, but so far, we found people that were working in industry because, you uh, so for example, someone that was working in, in Spotify or or, some, or, or things, things like this. Uh, because in the industry right now, there is, there is a lot of um, a lot of, uh, like uh, people and positions in machine learning and, and that's worked pretty well.
0: Okay, and how about, like, because that's a perfect segue to go into a little bit more to the business side, right? Because one of the things that attracts people in hiring, especially when hiring tech talent, is the impact that you're going to have is the the kind of technical challenge and not so much the salary. You know, salary is a nice, like it's a nice way to attract people, but at a certain point, at a certain range of salaries, you don't care that much whether you're making like 65 or 75. It, the, the difference is not as big as like, say, 15 to 25, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that delta becomes less and less relevant over time. So you have to optimize for the technical challenge, which I think that's something that you cover. But also... On the business side, you're perceived as a bootstrap company. So perhaps now that there's this economic downturn out there, that people are kind of like burned out from the VC industry and whatnot. And so maybe, do you think you've got a competitive advantage when hiring for a bootstrap business? <laughs> um, that was a very long question, I know.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I think like like uh, it's 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 interesting because like the the ideas about a, a bootstrap company are 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 quite interesting. Like it, when 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 you go inside, like and you realize that okay, the, the all the control is inside the team, the ownership is inside the team, uh, you're able to make decisions uh, a bit differently than than with uh, with VC's. Uh, the company is profitable; it's already profitable. So um, you you don't have like the uncertainty of is this going to actually work or or not. Uh, that that's that's pretty interesting uh, what you don't have is the stamps from uh from like big BCs that have uh so you you don't have the authority um the authority link uh, to to, yeah. to your company which uh that that is very useful for many people to re- to recognize which which companies are are good to work for no and we have to to we have to um, um, to rely on explaining well our what we're doing, and uh, and then it's a bit more important. Like, I, I think the independent thinking for yeah. the people that join Happy Shrive. Because It's it's not like the classical move, uh, and it's it's not the, a, a classical
0: example. But uh, you have to go a bit deeper and understand it to realize the potential. Because I think that like yeah, the same way that these authority stamps. Can work both ways, right? It's like, oh, this company is raising too much money, yeah, based on growth. But now that now it's not the best time around to be in companies valued on growth. We've seen valuations plummet. We've seen, you know, there's layoff season out there. So there's kind of like uh, Netflix. I think they fired like 3,000 people. Global are firing a lot of people. Bolt shut down. You know, all of the all of the big techs are are doing massive layoffs, right? So. On, you know, mm-hmm. we kind like, of it was cool for a while. It's not cool anymore. The reason being, like you know, for me as the business owner of a completely bootstrapped and an officeless company, is that sometimes, or we have been perceived, we get the bad reputation of being um, conformist and not very ambitious, right? Just because yeah. we're bootstrapped, we're uh, in our case, it's worse because we are a lifestyle business. And therefore, when you, when you tell an investor, we're a lifestyle business, they're like, Oh, this is not ambitious at all. Fuck you. You're like, well, oh, mm-hmm. all right. I mean, it really depends. Right. Um, so you are not clearly, you're not a lifestyle business, but I would assume that you got really good conditions as well, precisely because you're independent. You can pay the salaries you want and the company is already profitable. So, uh, I mean, to me, these are all advantages. Maybe what is the, Disadvantage of joining a company like HappyScribe? Maybe you are not growing as fast as you would do using VC money, maybe? Or what do you think there are hmm. d- disadvantages for you? Maybe you don't get enough press because you don't raise uh, uh, rounds. So maybe that's also another one.
1: Yeah, um... Uh... I mean, I'd say like like the 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 main dis- yeah the, the main dis- disadvantage is maybe like the the public recognition at 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 this stage. Yeah, uh, but it's very important to uh like to, to clarify that the reason why we have not raised money yet uh, is because we we didn't feel we were constrained by by cash uh to cont- to continue our growth. Uh, like our our um we we are like very ambitious on the kind the impact that we wanna have and the magnitude of the impact we wanna have. Mm-hmm. Um. And, but we're ambitious as well on how we build the company. And uh, our I think for Andrea and, and I, our ideal situation is building something that gets extremely big, that has a lot of uh, a lot of good impact. But we're, we're, when you go inside the company, you find uh, that this uh, it's extremely amazing that people come to work every uh, every day excited, and and they're having really the time of their lives. Um, and being bootstrap allows to to design this uh, more more carefully and then to, to build this another thing that we feel it's important is that if at some point we take VC money it should be from a top tier VC it should not be from uh, from, like, from 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 anyone else um, and and we see we see bootstrapping as a, as as, a, as maybe like a path to like what, if at some point we decide to raise to uh, because it's very clear like how with this money we, we could accelerate growth uh, we can choose the the BC
0: that would allow us to to build the company we want to build. Yeah, you took the difficult road in which you build something that people are willing to pay for before actually you know raising funds and then trying things, pivoting, and and trying different MVPs and whatnot. So you actually build something, brought it to profitability, have a team of uh, you know dozens of people right now. So. And now it's very clear to me that if you were to raise funds, as you say, like in the future, um, you will do it in a much much better condition than uh, other people who have not. You were they're not profitable because basically, you know, you will be able to cherry pick which investor do you want to raise from. On the other hand, um, exposure, mm-hmm. because I think that's something that I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty vocal about that is we mm. don't get we bootstrap companies. Not agencies mm-hmm. per se, but I see a lot of bootstrap companies. They don't get attention in the media or press coverage because I think, I think journalists just get, I don't know, they're incentivized. They just love fundraising rounds, which are clearly less and less interesting because the moment where everybody raises funds, what's the point in that becoming news? Like I've seen some press releases of company raises 80, 80K from from, you yeah. know, Friends, Family, and Fools, in fucking La Vanguardia. Like, what's what's the point? Like, it's, uh, that's not even a goal as a company, right? It's like me going to the bank and asking like, hey, I want 300,000 euros for the company. I, I probably could get a press release from La Casha because they're incentivized. Obviously, the press uh, sector is uh, is uh, invested by the by the big banks, right? But like, are you noticing it's harder for you to kind of like manage a company, get exposure, talk in events, talk in podcasts, hire people or retain people because you don't get enough exposure in the, in the media Yeah, or conferences? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And what's the strategy it, it, for that? um I mean
1: actually going like uh w- one of the one of the objectives of, of fundraising would would probably be this like would probably like uh, get get ac- get access to 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 more press and then get get a, a label from from someone with uh with a name you know that it's uh, easier for uh top performers in the world to to see and okay uh, like this uh, this seems interesting um uh, but uh, I think like, our strategy for that at the moment it's uh, it's just work working on it uh, and making it work and any like regardless of if we have it more difficult or or less um, and and yeah and, and that's it yeah, like we're
0: but how about like your competitors I assume that maybe there are some competitors in the market doing the exact same thing that you're doing but hmm. they raise funds so they are running faster right. How do you compare mm-hmm. to the competitors and how, <clears throat> how I don't know how do you perform in this? Like, uh, what's your what's your you know what's your northern start in this? Uh, so
1: in, in terms of, of competition uh, yeah. and or or in terms of how how we distribute
0: and how we sell. Um, in terms of you- competition, maybe product because they're able maybe to to run faster precisely because they raise funds and raise funds they raise funds they probably scale and they're probably hundreds of people right now. Whereas you are not even fifty people, if I remember correctly, right? So, but yet you're profitable and you have a great product. So maybe they're able to distribute faster.
1: Yeah. So there's two. Uh, when we are talking about press before, uh, I was yeah. refer- referring mostly uh, press and brand for uh, like for hiring and and yeah. uh, not necessarily for uh, for selling. Uh, okay. For 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 selling, what, what we found is that the um, uh, the distribution channels that that work the best are quite quite transactional. So someone has the need for transcription service, and then they go on Google and they ask for transcription service. And then the most important thing there is to to rank well. Uh, and to and that your your website is is visible and these are our techniques you no know, like uh SEO sem and these kind of things uh, are things that they do depend a bit on the press uh, because that gives you authority on on google uh, but but it's not it's not like a it's not like the only thing that it's needed and
0: and I think we've we've performed like quite uh quite well in in this regard. Okay, how about like, uh, let's circle back to the bootstrapping thing, because one of the things that's, it's it's always easy to describe a business as bootstrapped, but it's difficult to explain what exactly makes it bootstrapped, right? So bootstrapping means that you're doing it on your own terms, economic terms, basically you're taking no outside money. But what things did you have to do, at least in the very beginning, to kind of like, Pay for salaries. So I'm assuming you kept a daily job and you were moonlining on this and you were not getting a salary or or maybe you started charging doing some agencies or services before building product to kind of like uh, gain some cash and then start paying salaries. What was your strategy in the very beginning?
1: <laughs> uh, so at the, at the very beginning, we had the luck that <clears throat> that we were uh, st- studying in university on the first months. Of yeah. of habits, right? so we're actually students, so we're living on a on a student residence, and we're coding from from our from our living room. <laughs> so at that point, we did not have a lot of living expenses. No, um, and yeah. and and then after we finished we finished college, uh, we we continued building building habits, right? and in a matter of months, we were able to pay ourselves five hundred euros per month. Okay, and with that, in the beginning, we were able to live. Uh, so we uh, we were. Paying uh, together a flat in Barcelona for that costed seven hundred euros, something like this. So, so we're like uh, each of us paying three hundred fifty in on flat, and then one hundred and fifty on like personal expenses, and that was that's like what uh, was normally called ramen profitability. Like, yeah, correct. you're able to <laughs> <laughs> to bring it up. Yeah. You're able to to just like subsist, no? And uh and uh, but basically you're you're default alive. You're you you don't die as time as time passes, no? You're actually like growing as time passes and 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 yeah, so uh, we, we didn't have to have like two two jobs uh, or something like this at, at at any time. What we needed to have, no, uh, is that we we need to have a mindset uh, of uh, learning very very fast and uh, learning anything that was required. Um, so uh, because we were two two people, we had to do everything. We had to do the marketing, the engineering, the the like um, the, the product direction strategy. Um, the the finances inc- incorporating the company, but then uh, managing the accounting and all this. And at the beginning, we we just did everything, and then as things scaled and we expanded the resources and we had more resources, then we started uh, hiring and specialising and, and everything. Uh, but uh,
0: I, at I, the, uh, sorry, I bro- broke you yeah. off. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Just, just that uh, I guess like, one of the key things for for bootstrapping is that you have to be extremely resourceful yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and and be in this mindset of like, I'm gonna hack things like uh, and I'm gonna find like the solution that I can do with the resources I have and be very frugal uh, and it's definitely not the mindset of like we need to do this we need money to 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 do it uh, and first I get the money and then and then I do it like, you have to be in the mindset of like okay we need to do this how do we do it
0: and how how about like uh, paying the salary of the first developer because i assumed that the first developer didn't get 500 euros per month right so when yeah. was it the right time what was the first salary you ever paid and and do you do you pay with something else besides salary or like company shares or something like that
1: sure, yeah sure so uh, i uh, like like uh, we we have a, um, a plan of stock options that most people in the company they 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 have uh, and with this it's cool because the ownership is from the team uh, it's from the founders and, and and from and from the team yeah. uh, and that's one of the main th- the, the main uh, mechanisms that we have to compete with uh, big tech like google uh, amazon uh, etc because uh, we pay salaries that are uh, on the 75 percentile that are, are like uh, 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 maybe are not at the same level than Google, but they are not very very far below, and we compensate with stock options,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we compensate with uh, with the team and the and the project and the moment that that you that you are joining, um, and then in terms of hiring the the first the first person the first person was was an engineer and it was a a, a more like senior engineer. And what we did uh, there is basically we, we paid him a, a salary that <clears throat> at that time it was uh, three times uh, our. What salary. you were earning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to go into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and and then like uh, and then we offered him uh, significant stock options. And how how stock options work for uh, for people listening is that <clears throat> at the beginning you you offer quite a lot because you're trading risk. Uh, so there is higher risk, uh, so there is higher reward, and you offer more stock options. And if the company really succeeds, the first employees are gonna are gonna get uh, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the success. Uh, and then as as the, as you add more people in the team, the the percentage of stock options that you give to the team it decreases very fast. With uh, yeah, it decreases very fast, and it's like quite asymptotic.
0: Yeah, because there's no no more you know, no more incentive for them in terms of risk, right? Well, the first employees are those who make or break the deal. And of course, they have to have a lot of upside if the things go go really well. Uh, on the other hand, people joining a company that's profitable and 50 people strong is like, the risk is not really there. So it's not like it doesn't really make that much sense to give them stock options. Uh, although it's always nice to have, can be like, you know, easily, if you guys IPO in the future, something like that, you get a massive acquisition. It could be easily like a free 25 grand for them. So it's uh, it, it's it's actually it's actually <laughs> nice. But in terms of, you know, it, it's funny because I remember we also had these, this thing about like, you know, getting getting paid less as founders than one of our empl- employees for a while because it bootstrapped business. Um, you know, at the very beginning, you kind of like pay yourself with the r- ram and profitability. Then you hire some people, but these people have to ha- have to be, Competitive. We never issued any stock, so we're like not giving people that. We wanted to give only only salary. But you know, a couple of occasions maybe we have had somebody like for a few months then earning more than we did, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's that's something that they also appreciate if you share your salary with them, right? It's like, look, you're gonna be earning more than what we do, but because we really trust in you. Uh, however, one of the other things is like, in so bootstrap businesses, at the very beginning, you're not able to pay really good salaries, not to yourself, not, not nor to the team. But later on, you can pay like really fucking good salaries if you build a good business and it's based on profit. In our case, you know, our profit ranges between 30 and 40% per year. So we're able to compete with um, industry standards and pay a little bit even Higher than that, precisely because we don't keep stock, right? Uh, mm. What other what other things do you compensate people with? Is there any other you know part of the perks of the of the hiring of being part of a Happy Scribe team besides the crazy five year anniversary party you threw last week?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the 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 very like <clears throat> the most important reasons why joining a company are the mission, like what are you building, and if this matters or not, and the team yeah. that you're building it. So uh, we focus on having this extreme. Like on, on this, uh, and then everything follows. Uh, there there is there is all other things that, that we do like for uh, like uh, for, for example, like we started last year offering uh, like basically paying trips to people to do whatever they wanted, like for personal for personal reasons, uh, because mm-hmm. we realized that we are quite European, well, not European, like we're a quite international team, and everyone has uh, important relationships outside of Barcelona. Yeah, and we w- we wanted to to make like the the, the cost of people uh, going and and making these events happening, also you know? so uh, visiting family, visiting friends, and, and all this, and we basically have a um, yeah like a one case trip end for anyone in the team to spend on traveling for reasons that are not uh, about the company, uh, that, are, okay. uh, that are personal personal reasons, and that's some of the things that, that that we do. There's a bunch of like there's a long list of small things that that
0: that we do. Nice. Uh, actually, we got we we will be wrapping it up uh, rapidly. But before that, I wanted to throw a few really quick fire questions, and you just answer with one with one sentence, whatever comes to mind, right? But I want I want to get your thoughts really, uh, really specific sure. on certain things. So, public salaries? Do you have public salaries in the company? Yes or no, and why?
1: We don't. Uh, we uh, and. Um uh, it seems like it seems a bit, like, uh, it seems a bit, a bit difficult not to 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 set it up and we haven't found like a, a good solution at the moment um, but there's no big reason. Uh, okay we, we haven't... remote work yes, no hybrid. <laughs> uh, no, we tried. it didn't work for us and for our culture and we focused on building uh, like a, an on-site culture and on-site uh, setup
0: that works very well. Uh, when was the last time that you almost shut down your business? Did it ever happen? Almost shut down the business. No, uh,
1: last time that we had like a small, uh, like we uh, um, uh, were a bit, a bit scared. Yeah, uh, COVID probably uh, uh, on, on the first weeks of COVID. Now we had to like sit down. Like, okay, uh, if if things go to to hell, like uh, what what's the plan and all this, and make a plan. Uh, th- thankfully, no, nothing of that happened, and uh, yeah, and we like passed COVID pretty well.
0: What was your worst day? As a founder, or as a business leader, business owner,
1: uh, probably uh, letting go, let, letting go of the first people. Uh, that was the that felt uh, as hard as breaking up with with a partner. Uh, uh, but it's it's a crucial part of building a a, a very high performance team and, and a team that achieves great things. And uh, yeah, that is it is it hardest. because
0: you you built because uh, startups are built by generalists, but they're scaled by um specialist right mm-hmm. so is it is it because you require different people for these different stage of the company or
1: it's it's because the the uh, um the, the standards to enter happy scribe are very high but the standards to continue at happy scribe are are as well very very high and okay. uh, we we ask ourselves uh, this uh the, the, like uh, this question of if one specific person was to leave uh, at some point, how how would you feel? Uh, would like uh, the world implode and you're going like for the Shanax <laughs> because uh, and you feel extremely bad? Uh, do you do you feel neutral or do, are you actually relieved? And we and everyone at Happy Strife like we uh, when we ask this question we always answer the first one. Uh, oh, if, wow. if 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 the if the answer is, is different then uh, we, we we stop working together. Um, wow! So oh, wow. I've never just heard like-
0: something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, but th- this this, for example, allows for for hiring a smaller team. And uh, before you, you you were, I think that uh, sometimes happens in bootstrap companies that the salaries of the first people are low. In our case, it it actually it, it wasn't. Like we've been paying uh, like uh, good salaries since the beginning. But that's because we focus on having less people. And if we, if we could have one engineer instead of three engineers, but pay this yeah. this engineer at top of the market and be this have this engineer, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, we've, uh, we've 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 cho- this is the path we've chosen. Every time. Yeah,
0: actually, actually, that's one of the things that I, I hold a very big grudge against VC-backed companies, because basically, you know, at Marspace, we 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 get business from from companies that are like, you know, maybe more independent or smaller, and we can build applications for companies and with one or two or three people, and their competitor has got mm. 500 engineers, and they do exactly the same amount of business. It's like, how the fuck is that even possible? I think like everybody, every VC-backed company has got a lot of fat to kind of like to drop, but they are... Kind of like they need the people because they have huge employee turnover and whatnot. Well, don't get me started on that. I could rant for hours. One (laughs) last question for you is everybody gets to share a technical fuck up in this podcast. We want to (laughs) democratize technical fuck ups. What's the last database in production that you have wiped out or what was a bad technical decision you did on the technical side?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean like I think one of the funniest ones is like at that time that I, at the beginning the website crashed when it got when it got traction. The yeah. reason why, why it crashed is that um on, on uh, because you upload audio files, uh like you have to yeah. make a a request, no, and, and send this audio file somewhere. We were yeah. sending it uh to the uh, to the web server. So and on when you're using Ruby on Rails, uh, you you just have like a, a few a few processes that are that are running one two three four five, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, how it's architecture is that they should respond to calls very fast uh, at the millisecond level. If you make the file upload uh, to the web server, you're blocking one of these processes, and uh, and so basically we needed one server per person uploading a file. Oh, and if wow. we a yeah. hundred a hundred people uploading files, we needed a hundred <laughs> servers. <laughs> <laughs> um, really uh, yeah yeah and the, the solution to that it's uh it's, it's technical uh I, I, everyone like I'll, i guess it's not interesting for now um but that, that wasn't on the on the second week
0: uh, wow uh, okay 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 okay, <laughs> okay. now that's good enough okay mark well uh, i'm rolling the red carpet for you one one minute for you to say how we can help you how we can help happy scraps
1: um
0: what so do you I, need as a company or
1: yeah, we're we're, we're building we're, we're building the team right now, and it's a it's a pretty interesting opportunity to to join a team that's very small, that it's uh, it's very focused on building the team with a lot of care, and it's uh, it's uh, just the right the right people. Uh, and if you know someone that uh, could be interested in joining this kind of project, uh, please uh, um,
0: like uh, let them let them know uh, or send me an email. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much, Mark. And uh, to our audience, see you in the next episode. Goodbye.